You are listening to the IFH Podcast Network. For more amazing filmmaking and screenwriting podcasts, just go to ifhpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, episode number 635. A day without filmmaking probably wouldn't kill me, but I wouldn't risk it. Anonymous. Broadcasting from the back alley in Hollywood, it's the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, where we show you how to survive and thrive as an indie filmmaker in the jungles of the film biz. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Indie Film Hustle Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Now, how many filmmakers out there want to learn how to direct epic action on a budget? I teamed up with veteran film director and best-selling author Gil Beckman to teach a three-day directing video series on how to direct epic action on a budget. If you want access to this free masterclass, just head over to IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash free. And guys, before we start, I want to let you know that we are having a massive Black Friday sale on IFHAcademy.com. Courses that have been on there will be slashed a way that we have never slashed them before. We've never discounted our courses so much. Wanted to give back to the tribe and make it as easy as possible to get access to some of this top, top-notch education from screenwriting to filmmaking to film producing, from how to write a script, how to build characters that sell, to what to do with your script after you sell it how to produce a script, how to distribute your film after it's done, and so much more. All you need to do is go to ifhacademy.com. On Black Friday through Cyber Monday, our deals will be there. Now, guys, today on the show, we have a very interesting story of a DIY filmmaker who taught himself how to make films doing skateboard videos, you know, really, really low budget music videos and just kind of like hacking away until he got a chance to not only work on huge music videos, but now he's working and directing Hollywood studio features. His name is Matt Stosky. And Matt is the director of the new Blues Clues film that just got released on Paramount+. Plus. And what he was able to do with the budget he had is pretty remarkable, which makes sense being a DIY filmmaker. But we got into the weeds about how he came up, how he kept going when everybody was saying no, all the challenges he had to overcome to get to where he is, and so much more. So without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Matt Stosky. I'd like to welcome to the show Matt Stosky. How you doing, Matt? Good. Thanks for having me, Alex. Good to meet you. Thank you for ha- thank you for coming on the show, brother. I really appreciate it. You know, I was I get pitched on the show all the time for people to come on, and I heard your story of the DIY beginning of your career, just kind of like hustling it out, grinding it, yeah. doing these crazy music videos to get started, and then all the way to uh, where you're now, where you directed your first feature for a studio, uh, the Blues Clues, uh, Spider Man Far from uh, Far from Home. Or yeah. No Way Home version of it, which we'll get to. I love the meme treatment. Oh, my God. There's people. <laughs> like, the internet is a great place sometimes, you know? And you know, sometimes sometimes it's a beautiful place. Sometimes. Every once yeah. in a while. It's every once in a while. So my yeah. first question, Matt, is how and why in God's green earth did you want to get into this insanity that is the film industry? Oh, man. I, wow. Why did I want it? That's, that's a question I've, I've 
probably never been asked. Um, I think I, I was just, I was into it because like a lot of people, I was just making stupid short films with my friends, you know, when we were young, you know, um, running around the woods, making horror movies. God, what, what was them called? Uh, Hacker Woods was like my first stupid horror movie I made with my friend Mark. Um, and then another reason was because I just had access to equipment. You know, my, my high school was a cousin in Warren, Michigan, and we had a radio station, TV station, and we would, um, you know, the second half of your day, you know, your fourth, fifth, and sixth hour, you just go to the radio station. It was like this red place where there's like stickers on all the walls and like my teacher had green hair and we just got records from all the record labels. They would send it to all the radio stations first. And we were like a high school station. We weren't even a college station, but we had access to all this rad music. And that's where I learned how to edit by doing like radio dramas. So I did a lot of like audio editing. And I learned how to shoot local bands because we would be able to rent out cameras and we would just go shoot bands. So that's kind of how the music video thing started was was at my local like radio TV station. So I guess that's yeah, that's the beginning. That's how you got started in and, and, and but I gotta imagine that the second you decided to go into being a filmmaker, that all the money came in and you were living large and life was good and it was everything was easy. You got yeses all the time, right? Oh yeah. The I, I have to I'm trying to sell my fifth yacht because you know I gotta I gotta pay for uh, for the for fourth tax reasons season, for tax reasons for tax yeah. reasons I understand I understand I too sold my seventh yacht last week it's fantastic yeah it's, it's tacky to have too many you know so. <laughs> it's tacky to have too many exactly um, but when you got started man I, I gotta imagine during those early years there was a lot of rejection and a lot of just mm -hmm. like not. You know, you're talking about doing music videos, which I'm assuming a lot were free at the beginning just to get yeah. the reel up. What did you do to keep going when that door just kept getting slammed in your face? Yeah, that was I mean, I think when when you're young, as long as like I had Final Cut Pro and I had my parents computer, you know, and <laughs> my friends and I, we throw our money together. I mean, yeah, we borrowed gear from the school, you know, to, to shoot stuff. But we also bought like DX1000s and VX2000s, like those skate video cameras. Mm -hmm. And as long as we had a camera and editing gear, we were able to, you know, I mean, yeah, the band and the label would be like, hey, we got 500 bucks for a music video. I'm like, cool, that's the gas to get to New York, you know. And that happened multiple times. But like, at, you know, at the time, like, I don't know, everything was cheaper. We were all, I mean, in high school, we're living at home, so we don't have any bills to pay. But when I got to college, you know, we were able to really stretch a dollar, you know, so we would shoot tons of stuff on like $500, $1,000 budgets. I remember we got like our $7,000 budget and our mind was blown um, for this video for this band called Evergreen Terrace. They're like this hardcore band from Florida. I'm still good friends with Josh James, who's in that band. Um, he's actually getting into videography now and I'm kind of helping him with that. But uh, but we got 7,000 bucks to shoot that in Detroit and we used all the money to get like a real Chapman dolly and like 16 millimeter, you know, camera, good lenses, some real lights. And it was me and like two other guys and a makeup person. And we hauled it all up to the roof, to this rooftop, like 10 stores, like literally a Chapman dolly. A Chapman and like, dolly? 10 yeah, stores. we had, we had like no, no PAs or grips or electricians. Or anything. We just did it all ourselves. And so it was, um, it was a lot like up until the point where I was like, actually doing music videos for record labels i was still like wrapping up all the cords and putting all the lights away you know like everything you could do on a non-union shoot we were just used to it you know so we had tons of situations where 
even though we were, we, we, you know, you write a lot of treatments and you get rejected a lot, but those treatments, those times we did get the opportunities, even if the label had 500 bucks, you know, like we just had to be creative, you know, we just had to learn how to shop in a fabric district and learn how to go to a party supply store and get confetti poppers, you know, and just like weird things to add production value to a video when you can't build sets and, and, and really like, you know, the city of Detroit, like just scout the city and find the cool alleys to shoot in and find the picturesque areas and shoot when the lighting's good and all that stuff that, you know, the guerrilla filmmaking stuff, you just kind of learn it on the fly, you know? I'll, I'll, I'll blow your mind. Cause I'm a, I'm a bit older than you. So in the nineties, yeah. In the 90s, I remember working on $300,000 budget music videos yeah. low, with, right? with, which was low and yeah. third, third string artist. Not even yeah. at the top. That's not, that's not top level. That's not yeah. the Taylor Swift of their day. It was yeah. third string. They were the backup singers of the real people who the label was trying to get out. I remember yeah. specifically. And I'm like, three, dude, seriously, that was so much money. Yeah. That's in Miami, no less. In Miami. Not yeah, even yeah. in New York or LA. In Miami. Yeah, where where you don't have access to like multiple rental houses and stuff. And that was, I mean, I would I, I think that was the biggest budget I ever I mean, I did a commercial that was bigger, but music video wise, like the Disney videos videos I did, like the kid videos, those were that was the budget. And that was considered big. Like we're like, whoa, we could shoot two days instead of one, you know? Um, <laughs> but but I mean I, I yeah, I got into the game right when I was just doing this, but a lot of the you know, I, I heard a lot of stories from, you know, a lot of ADs and, and, uh, and electricians I worked with, of, you know, being on the set, like the Michael Jackson set where he didn't show up and it was a four day shoot and everyone got paid full rates and they just sat sure. around that, you know, kind of a thing. And, oh, like, yeah. you know, so <laughs> it's I got, so much money. It's so much yeah. money was coming on, man. It was insane. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Well, yeah. I mean, also to be fair, I mean, everyone was still selling, you know, twenty dollars CDs yeah. back then. Yeah, yeah there wasn't. It, it was a whole other different business model back then. And now um, the checks where you get five cents, you know, residuals on Spotify and stuff, you know, so <laughs> like it costs more to send. It costs more to send the check than the check is worth. Yeah, yeah. So weird. just send so me a stamp. Send me a yeah. free stamp. Would you do that? That'd be more valuable. Yeah, yeah. So. So when you were, so you did a bunch of stuff like, you know, like, and I did a bunch of that stuff too, coming up as well, like doing these commercials and, and stuff like that. I wasn't getting paid, but when you first had a real client mm -hmm. and it was a big budget, when you walked on set, you had a real crew, Yeah, you know, and that was, you're not wrapping cable anymore. Yeah. What did that feel like? Like when you were on the first time you were on a hundred thousand dollar plus budget, you're mm -hmm. like, oh God, this is real. Like there's yeah, a lot yeah, of pressure. How did you deal with that? How did you feel on that day? Yeah, you know, I can remember it too. I it was it was like a follow-up boy video in 2008 that I did. And uh and that one was I think like Pete Wentz was dating Ashley Simpson and I remember there was like paparazzi on set and like, you know, people doing a bat like I think she had a reality TV show that was filming. <laughs> there was like all these cameras and like I don't know, you know, there was the MTV people and the VH1 people and then our cameras. And so it was it was intimidating, but, but I, I do remember like Pete Wentz had my back, you know, he, he saw, I did this Anthony Green video that was really trippy with lots of animation. And that's the reason I was able to do Fallout Boy because he, he vouched for me. He's like, I want that. I want that weird trippy animation style. And so, you know, when the artist kind of, you know, has your back like that, all it takes is to 
sort of get a couple shots in the can and show the band, you know, and like show them what it's going to look like. And when they sort of like how it looks, you just get that confidence boost. And then like the artist is going to, they act a little wackier on set, you know, and then they, you know, kind of give it their all and everyone sort of trusts you. So it's just, um, I think, I think early on though, in that stage that I'm not going to say fake it till you make it, but that sensibility does make sense. Like you may feel like you, you know, there's some imposter syndrome for sure. Mm. But the, 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 I think the main thing about directing that, that I've realized like in the last, I mean, I don't know, pretty recently, maybe in the last five years is you just have to be the person in the room that knows the most about the thing you're doing. You know, if you're going to, you know, make a music video about whatever Detroit, you just got to do your history and be able to tell all the executives, all the, you know, record label people, all the artists like, yo, Detroit, this, this, and this, these spots are great. This is awesome. You know, you just have to, you know, do your research and know the most, you know, kind of a thing. So with music videos, it was all about pre-production, just having insane storyboards and references and film clips and all this stuff. So when you're on set, you're showing the artist all this stuff, you know, I guess we didn't have iPads back then, but just flipping through like your laptop computer and just showing the record label, like, okay, this guy knows he's, he's got a vision and uh, he thought about this a lot. You know, I, I, I hate ad living. I think I have nightmares about <laughs> like coming up with shots on the spot, you know? So yes, it's intimidating, but if you just like have tons of references with you and like, really tell all your department heads exactly what you're going for then it's then that confidence kind of you know swells inside you it's funny though like literally last week uh my daughters uh, were listening to a song mm-hmm. and they're like what's this song and 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 there's like and i'm like that's that's CeeLo green and, yeah. and it's just like i'm like I, it's like can we see the video i'm like i've never actually seen the video of this oh. this video so i literally watched the CeeLo green video forget you nice. like nice. four four or five days ago with, oh, nice. not knowing that you directed it <laughs> yeah oh cool That's not awesome. knowing that you directed it i just it just it was a happenstance the yeah. universe just brought that to so now it's like it's fresh in my mind i just saw it like literally four days ago and then I'm, as i'm doing research on you i'm like son of a he directed the CeeLo green video yeah. was was that CeeLo green because that was such a massive hit for CeeLo yeah. green i mean so massive was that the thing that just took your career to another level? It was for sure. I mean, that that's the thing that got me representation. It got me an agent and a manager, <laughs> you know, that, um, you know, Eric Garfinkel and uh, Britton Rizzio, and, and they're the ones that taught me the, 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 the narrative industry, the film industry, and got me reading scripts and all that. So that, that video was a big, a big help for me for sure. And, and we didn't, you know, it was the whole story behind that's really interesting because I was working at, um, Refuse TV, which is, you know, this woman, Kathy Pello runs it. She also has a record label called Sergeant House. And she's this like incredible, just punk rock woman that knows everyone. She's like, knows the New York party scene. And she hung around with all these, I think she was a, a model back in the day. And she hung around with all these legends and she knew people in the theater and the Broadway world. And uh, she was a commissioner for Atlantic Records as well. So when that track was, was kind of sent out, the song was called Fuck You. And a lot of big name directors passed on it. Like I, I don't quote me, but I think like Mark Romanek and Spike Jones and Chris Cunningham, like all passed oh, on it. Like, all sure. these, they were trying to go that artsy route, you know? And, uh, and she was like, well, we got like a 60 K budget and we got to do this in one day. And so I got to like write on it. And I just wrote that like Motown doo wop treatment and he loved it. So, you know, <laughs> enter, enter 16 hour day, you know, try to shoot this thing at Cadillac Jacks up in the Valley. And, uh, 
And that's what like kicked it all off. So it was a really good, like, I have to thank Kathy Pello for that because, you know, a lot of people, I don't know, everyone's break is always a weird story like that. Like it was right place at right time, you know, kind of thing, because uh, she happened to be the commissioner for that, right, for that uh, video. And a lot of people happened to pass on it just because the song was obscene, you know, the, the title. At the time, until they did Forget You, which they said, yeah. hey, we, we need some radio play, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and it just, it had that viral thing because it was like an obscene title, but it was such a happy going doo-wop song. Right. Right. Like, like, you know, it, it sort of, you know, made F you this popular meme viral thing, you know? So it's, it's, I always thought that was kind of fun how that, 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 that whole thing happened. It was, it was a quite the, quite the interesting it was, year. It was, what year was that? Was that, I mean, it was a 2000. And 10 or 11. The, yeah. Exactly. Cause it still had a vibe. Cause mm -hmm. I remember the the nineties when you had the, the McG's of the world and the Michael Bay's of the world where they're using the cross processing and it really yeah. vibrant colors. Yeah. You had really vibrant colors in that, yeah. I remember. It wasn't gone like a McGee Smash Mouth video was back yeah, yeah. in the day, but it looked beautiful. And then you mixed in this whole like musical aspect to it, which was like, which is which was the sign of like where you're going, because this is what you yeah. love musicals. And we'll talk about the musical side of you in a minute. But it yeah. was really it, it didn't look complex in the sense of the budget. It wasn't it was one location essentially. It wasn't that crazy. But it wasn't it wasn't an expensive budget. It wasn't it was you did a lot with the money you had. It made yeah. it look really good out of one location, basically one big location or one small yeah. location. Yeah, and, and we just like it was one of those things where you just use the look you use the advantage of that location, the neon lights and the colorful walls, and we just like saturated all the lights. And and there was also something that happened too. Like that was the first job I ever did with Lindsay and Craig, my choreographers, and they they did the blues movie too. Um, and every music video in between. And uh we we sort of like we had all the dance figured out with with the dancers and that this thing happened when we were playing the song on set and like people were like snapping their fingers and bobbing their heads and we we're like yo let's just let's really lean into the little shop of horrors of it all and even the background you know all the background actors that were sitting in the seats like they just like kept bobbing their heads almost like betty boop you know how everyone's like the beat and that just added this like kind of funny nostalgic touch to the whole thing and i think everyone just loosened up and all the you know all the people that were playing all the roles in the film and the different silos like were just real loose and i think people were just vibing because it was a good song you know you don't always get like a good song to, to write <laughs> sometimes you have to do you know i've done every kind of video but that was just a great song and everybody loved it so everyone was just bobbing their head the whole time and it just we captured that energy you know and how did the town treat you after that after that video um bell of the ball yeah. I, I booked, I booked a good, you know, I kind of stepped up as far as music videos go, um, you know, and, and I was able to book a lot of, of jobs and I was really riding that momentum. I think if I could go back in time, you know, I mean, I guess I, 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 I would, I can't say I'd like change anything about my life, but I probably would try to use that momentum to push myself more towards narrative earlier, you know, because I, you know, I'm 37 now and, and uh, I probably could have gotten into nar the narrative world a little bit earlier, but I just I just kept booking music videos for years. And that's kind of why I stalled on the narrative thing, because I was just working and it like, I, I, yeah, exactly. And, and you, got five, I, you got five yachts, brother. You got to I mean, that's, that's a yeah. lot to support. Yeah. Yeah. And after the second yacht, I just had to keep doing the music videos because the budget. got <laughs> nothing um, By yachts, I'm talking like the paper ones you fold up, you know, and you, obviously, yeah. obviously, yeah. sir. <laughs> yeah. 
So, but yeah, I was, I was booking some work after that and, and it was cool, you know? We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. It, it, it's a good feeling to do like eight music videos a year. I mean, I know some people like turn out 20 a year, but with all the post effects that I do, you know, I always was like editing my own stuff. So eight was like keeping me really busy. And, uh, and yeah, I was really busy after that for sure. That's awesome, man. Now uh, we all, as directors, there's always that day on set, um, that the entire world's coming crashing down around you and you don't think you're going to make it, you're not going to make it. And then, and arguably that's every day, but there's generally that one event that really stands out out of a project. If you don't want to say the project, you don't have to say the project, but if it's a project, you could say, say it. And what was that event and how did you overcome it as a director? Um, I have to say that's, that's only happened. I mean, yeah, we have tough days and yeah, we have to like, you know, kill setups and, and weather happens and things like that. Um, but like the, the toughest day, it was this video I did uh, for me, for Neo, uh, the um, friend like me, uh, it's a, it was a Disney video. He was doing a cover of the Aladdin song. And it was just one of those days where the, the setup for everything, we just didn't have enough money and enough people to light this location. And there was this big pool in the middle of our location and it was so hard to move the camera around there. And I really tried to like, I mean, we, we, at the end of the day, we pulled it off, but it was one of those days where we really ran out of time and I had to like kill half the shots, like literally half the shots. Um, but, uh, but they were the narrative shots in, and something, I mean, this is, this is an interesting thing that happened and this legitimately happened. We shot, we shot Nao against, a wall for the performance stuff, you know, lit them pretty, just put like a, a, a blue color on the wall and lit them all orange. And we shot a wide medium close up, and that was like the performance coverage. He's an incredible performer. So it was like, we had great stuff and all that footage got corrupted in, you know, <laughs> the cards or whatever. So yep. the, the insurance for the production actually covered us. They have another day of shooting. So we were able to, get him on the stage and light him even better and get even better performances out of him and no one was stressed out. So all that time that we didn't, you know, all the shots that we didn't get, we we're able to get on the second day because a, a card was corrupted and insurance actually covers that somehow. You know, I don't, I don't know how that all works, but we got another day. So that was the most, like, that was one of the days where I realized like, wow, we're not going to get it, you know? And uh, the video looks cool. You know, his performance was incredible. It's all about him. So but I, I've never had, I mean, I've heard those stories, you know, from, you know, some, some more like seasoned, you know, guys and gals that I've worked with of, you know, the hurricane comes through and blows the, you know, the, the flags <laughs> over and the, he stands flying and somebody got injured and there's like, you know, like, you know, it, people suing people and all that. Like I've heard of that, you know, before um, I've never had like a nightmare day like that. And I'm, I'm, I don't know, maybe it's, it's a little bit of luck and a little bit of being prepared kind of a thing, you know, but. Well, listen, when I was putting my demo reel together, I shot 35 and I sent it up to uh, Duart because I'll say it out loud uh, okay. in New York. And uh, they, uh, the machine broke and burned out all my neg for oh two my of God. my spots, for two of my, out of the three spots I did, two of my spots gone. gone. That was 20, 25 grand out of my pocket. Gone. And they're like, we'll do the new rolls again for free. I'm like, oh, really? And I was so yeah. young, I could have sued them. I should have done. I mean, I yeah. could have. I should have easily gotten because, come on. So yeah. I had to go back, and and that's why my demo reel cost fifty grand. But I I lost my, and I was better actually. I got back. I got a better set of DPS. I, I did it. it same thing as yeah. you. 
got to do it again, figured things out differently. It was an expensive lesson, but it was a lesson nevertheless. Imagine yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, I can remember back times like hard, like, like hard drives have gone corrupted and things like that. It's, oh, yeah. it, it, it turned it's our, like, brutal. whether my generation, your generation, we've turned into like command save people. Like I'm always hitting command save, command oh, save, yeah. making double backups and triple backups and like sending a hard drive to my parents. Just so I know in Michigan, there's a hard drive with the thing. And in case my house burns down, you know, so it's, yeah. uh, when that happens, you turn into a worry wart for sure. And no, it's in, I came up with when the first Avids were coming up and those things crashed all mm -hmm. the time. So I became an Apple safe, Apple safe, Apple safe, Apple safe, Apple safe, yeah. Apple safe, constantly. It's yeah. a, it's a habit. Now I'm used to the new stuff that just kind of saves in the background constantly yeah. for you. And cloud and everything. It's, it's a whole different thing. So, but, oh my God, I still have all those hard drives too. They just like, I, every time I, I do big creative stuff and it's like, I don't even think the, the power outlets work anymore, you know, like, but I don't know. It's, I have. You know, so I, I just I just moved from LA to Austin last uh, a year ago, and I did that. I had a box of Firewire 400s. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. And I and I, they all worked. They all revved up, and oh. I just downloaded them all into a a solid state drive and just started dumping them. Like I don't need this. I don't need that. And then just put nice drills in the holes. Yeah. <laughs> I just recycled them. Yeah. I threw away all my film recently. My like, I had like some sixteens and thirty five. I can't uh, get rid of mine. And I can't just, get rid of mine. I yeah, can't, I have it in my closet right now. I can't get yep. rid of my thirty five. I got thirty five, sixteen, super eight, and yep. I can't get buckets of them. Buckets of these yeah. thirty five. It'll get props someday. You need it to like you know. Well, you know the other know. day, the other day, I I, I actually I just retransferred them all to four K or to six K yeah. actually because I did everything to standard def before because I was like you know what let me go back and take a look at them of that stuff. And yeah. I did, I transferred. So, but eventually I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to let it go. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> because, because, you know, our mansions don't have the space for them anymore. Obviously. Yeah. I mean, we have to get, yeah. I'll send it out to my West Palm beach. Man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, another thing a lot of people don't talk about um, as first filmmakers don't understand is the politics of a set mm -hmm. and music. I, I, I came up, uh, later in my life, I, I was I, I joined uh, a music video crew, and I did a lot of big music videos in the post side, and yeah, I was yeah. on set, and you know, with Justin Bieber, Snoop Dogg, you know, yeah. Ludacris, all these kind of people are coming up, and um, I saw the insanity. Yeah, uh, it's insane, like in, insane, uh, on set with a music video set. But when you started getting onto these other sets that weren't, they were more professional, quote unquote. Um, and you had these older crew members who saw mm -hmm. this kid. Mm -hmm. I gotta imagine you got some pushback. Yeah. How did you deal? How did you deal with that? Yeah, I mean, I my my personality is I I'm very passive. You know, I'm 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 I can say I'm if I'm if I'm confrontational, it's as kind as I can possibly be. I know. I mean, I had to. I always knew I was the young guy on the set. You know, and I think anyone. <laughs> to deal with that if you're directing because you know you're always going to get crew guys that are you know a little little older than you um but you know i i can't think there's ever been any like conflict like i know there were probably people i mean obviously we've had like our 18 hour days where you're pushing sure. people so hard and stuff and i learned from really good producers not to do that very early on because someone gets in an accident on the way home that's you know 
Um, right. So I only had, I had a very short lived career as far as pushing people too hard and having long days. And I, I luckily I'm, I worked with some really good, like I worked with um, this guy, Mark Russell, uh, chef is his nickname. I don't know if you ever read, he was, he's an incredible AD and uh, he was big in the music video scene. Like he worked with hype Williams and uh, Mark. Oh, back. Yeah. He was like hype's guy for a while. And uh, when I got to that like budget range where I could afford him, you know, he was my AD and he had my back and he was one of the, you know, like the best ADs are the ones that can like, you know, kind of yell and get everyone to listen to him, but like kill you with kindness at the same time, you know, like compliment right. that. Like when it's time to like get the shot, like let's go. He's that guy. And he, he sort of taught me a lot that I know. And he always had my back on set. And I think that helped a lot with those situations because he was a veteran. And so just like the directing department being sort of like supportive like that, like he was able to push back at any of that, you know, like any kind of smirks or anything that came from some of the older people on set. And, um, and I also, you know, like if you can remember someone's name and shake their hand and look them in the eye and, and compliment them, if some, you know, if some lighting looks incredible, it's not just the DP, it's the gaffer, you know, it's like so many, it, it takes a village every time. And, and uh, as long as you, you know, really make sure everyone sees that their craft is is seen and respected and that they're doing a good job, I think that that's like the key, you know, to 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 sort of getting that respect, even being younger. But um, I don't know if, if there was anyone that was a little bit better just because I was young, like whatever, I don't care. You know, I'm, I'm too focused on this insane day right. where there's so many shots you got to get and you have this amount of time and the clients like looking over your shoulder, like there's too much other stuff to worry about, you know? So. Gotcha. Yeah. Some, I mean, if, if you have a good, if you have a good first AD uh, to, to, or D, a good DP to, to kind of, yeah. to help yeah. you with that stuff, that's helpful. But sometimes yeah. you, I, I mean, I had guys who literally just like literally try to under, try to chop my legs off underneath from underneath me yeah. while on set. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. So it's a different, certain things you just have to figure out. I mean, at one point, I, some, someone I walked on set and thought they, I thought I was a PA. Yeah. <laughs> like the, yeah. the UPM hadn't met me yet. And they're like, all right, you uh, go, go get the yeah. crap service going. I'm like, dude, I'm the director. <laughs> yeah, that, that's happened to me recently, actually, because like I, I had a couple, um, like, like our second AD was like, like, cause I just wore a black t-shirt and jeans cause I'm there to work, you know, I'll be on my knees, like, and I'll, and I'll get my hands dirty and I'll, you know, it's like, he's like, normally the directors I, I work with, like show up like with a suit and a tie and makeup and their crazy hair and all this. And I'm like, yeah, man, I'm just like here to work. You know, it's, it's the same mentality. Like it doesn't matter if, if you're sitting like, and I also like, don't like to sit. Like I'm always trying to stand because that was like in music video world. It was like, you see a shot and you're going to run over and talk to somebody. And then like, you just can't be on your on your butt, you know, I, I haven't had that luxury yet, you know, so maybe on a commercial I sat because that's like the bottle. Oh, you it's know? all about like four hours on lighting the freaking bottle. I mean, yeah. and, and the yeah. clients, they're like, and you're like, oh, just, do, just do, yeah. just do, just do, let me know when you want me to yell action. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but when you got like a million setups in, you know, no time to do it, like you're just, you're running. And I think as long as, I mean, and a lot of people see that too, they see how, physical the job can be too so it's like maybe oh. you expect from that too you know? so that's true that that is true though if, if this crew sees you bust an ass yeah they but if you're sitting on a on a recliner with your coffee latte 
Yeah. You know, yeah. In, in, in their butt. And they're like, hey, guys, I need you to lift that crane up 10 stories. I'll meet you up there. Not yeah, that you yeah. need to do it, but they just need to see that you're. It's yeah. a, it, you're, you're a general, man. You're a general yeah. running, running a unit. And yeah. And they got to see you moving and they got to see that you're into it. But if, yeah. if, if, if there's pretension, oh, man, it's yeah. hard. You lose, yeah. you lose your crew. You lose everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's like, that was a big part of it. Like, I never like, I was never like posing for photos or like, you know, like, oh, yeah. yeah you know, yeah. doing the whole, the whole thing. Like, look at this set we built, you know, like, you know, like, like now you just like, you get a shot, you go, you talk to the actors or the artists first, then you talk to your DP, then you talk to your AD, and then you, you know, you make sure they know what to communicate to their team. And, and you just, you just go in order. And, and whenever the, you know, the record labels talk to you, everyone else needs to like, you know, they're first, obviously, but, uh, but yeah, it's just, it's just making sure if you communicate good, I think you get that respect. Like if you're very clear and there's no like question marks or people like confused as to what they're doing, you know, right. and, and even if people say you make, if they see you make decisions, like, you know what, we're running out of time. We got to cut this shot. Like if you do stuff like that too, they're like, okay, he, he's not going to like run us into the ground. Like we're going to get through the day. So, um, it, yeah. It, so if there was a thing, man, if you can go back in time and tell your younger self at the beginning of this journey, one thing, what would that one thing be? It would be shoot a short film way earlier because <laughs> my, my, my agent and manager were like, were always telling me shoot a short film, do a short film. You know, you need narrative, narrative. Narrative. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I was, I don't know, I think I, I wasn't like cocky when I was younger, but I definitely was like. I can just go straight from music videos to features, you know, like Fincher that's what, did it. Fincher did it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and, you know, my first short film I did was like, you know, with, with that looked good was like 2016, 2017. And I should have done that way earlier because, um, and, and just like learning narrative, you know, like, I think, you know, I, I learned a great deal in school. I actually really like college. Um, but, uh, you learn the most from just watching movies, just putting on the criterion channel and watching old shit, you know, like, Mm -hmm. And and that's and that's sort of the best film school. So I think I mean I I do like to watch a lot now, and I did watch a lot in college and stuff. But I think I would have. I mean I have friends that you know four hundred they watch four hundred movies a year. You know it's like like every night they watch a new movie. Um, and I think that's the best because that the influences from all those films is gonna like consciously or subconsciously make its way into your film. And I think taking taking your references and style from old stuff is the best way to go because if you take it from new stuff it's obvious it's like oh they're ripping off euphoria oh they're ripping off you know you know whatever new you know tarantino movie or whatever but if you take for well tarantino takes from all the old so that's like a, <laughs> that's a big circle it's but, a vicious uh, it's a vicious circle yeah, yeah. <laughs> no but, you're yeah. absolutely you're absolutely right that's why like you know pt anderson stole a shot from boogie nights from um i am cuba that no yeah. one had ever heard of unless you had a Criterion Laserdisc of it yeah, or your yeah. Martin Scorsese or Francis for Coppola who produced it or released it. Yeah. And everyone was like, this shot's amazing. And I'm like, wait a minute, that's from I Am Cuba. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, a, it's it was such a great shot and it's so yeah. beautiful. You know, I saw that for the first time just recently because I'd never heard of it. And I Am I, Cuba? And, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, it's oh. just like, I saw that, that one shot and I was just like, is this? Like, it just... How, it, how, it, how did they do it? And, yeah. No, and the thing that they did was how they did the stuff. We're talking about 1950s yeah. technology. These yeah. tank of 35 millimeter cameras. I mean, yeah. tanks weighing a ton. 
Yeah. And they're flying them around like they were like an iPhone on a gimbal. Like it's, yeah. I mean, just insane. And then from the ceiling, from a rooftop, down an elevator, walking yeah. around into the water, like mind blowing, yeah. mind blowing. And, and that's why, that's why the whole practical way is always the best. Like, and I think people, even people that swear by CGI, you know, I've seen good CGI for sure. And I, I like certain amounts, but you subconsciously know it's not real, you know, but when you put that real practical thing there or the camera really, you know, like what Inuratu does and what they did in, um, um, what's the, Top Gun. Uh, <laughs> Top Gun. <laughs> oh yeah. Even Top Gun. Yeah. I saw that three times in the theater. Cause I was just like, I know this is really happening. And and, can you imagine if that would have been CG? Can you imagine if that was, it it just, it wouldn't have made the money. It wouldn't, people would be like, great. Yeah. That's a really good example of something that everyone's going to hear before they see that, that it was all real, you know? So if there's like a good, I think, I think films should definitely have campaigns behind them if they do pull off crazy practical things, you know, like, like even, um, what was that film that came out? uh, Victoria, the one shot was Mm -hmm. it a film, you know? Um, they said like, yes, this actually is a one shot film. It's not like a Hitchcock foreground pass that we're doing. Like we shot this, I think they did it three times. And the second time was the one they used or something like that. But that was a full, they started at 2 AM and or 3 AM and the film ended at 5 AM. And it's an actual one shot thing. And I don't care who you are. If you know that information before you see the film, it's going to make the experience that like when the guy plays the piano or he catches the thing or they have the squibs and the guy gets shot, like you just know, like, wow, this was all planned out, you know? And it's That's just it, like, it, it, yeah, it's another experience. Like seeing the, the 18 wheeler flip in dark night. You're just yeah. like, yep. And you could tell that's real. Like that's, yeah. there's no CG. You can't CGI the way it looks, the, yeah. the motion, the things that are click. It's just too complicated yeah. for it to look it, real the way it is. Yeah. Did they, did they do a Jackie Chan on that and show the cre- show it multiple times? I can't remember if it was like, a Oh, two. you mean like what I, I'm sure they did. I'm sure the edit was like that, but it, it, once it left, it, it was yeah. there. And then I think they probably cheated a little bit as far as just the edits, but yeah. that thing was, and then I think boom, boom, boom. Like they, they probably crammed yeah. it down like three times, like the, the Jackie Chan style, but you it's still the, real. Yeah. You think in the edit, they were like, oh, my God, we have 18 incredible angles of this, but we can only show like three, you know, like because <laughs> they probably had so many. Kids. I, I also heard I mean, I can't remember this, but I thought I saw a viral video where they, did they shoot that during the day and they just colored it to be night? I, I, no, I, I think that was night. I, at least the behind the scenes, at least the behind the scenes that I saw was night. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, yeah, that would be too difficult. Man. I get yeah. To shoot. Be, day, day for night is tough yeah. in general. Like, yeah, but to do something like that with the light. No, man. I, maybe it's because like I remember seeing somebody filming from their apartment and it just looked like daytime, you know. Well, but, maybe it was the prep or so, I don't know because they had to, yeah. you know. It wasn't. A, I don't think it was a one or I think they, I think they could do it more than once. But who knows? Yeah. But they now we're t- getting it. Now we're getting into some geeky film stuff. Now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, when two filmmakers get together, we start going down that road. Yeah, yeah. I am Cuba turns into D- Chris Nolan real quick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, so your your feature film debut uh, is the new film Blues Big City Adventure. Yes. How did the guy who directed Fuck You <laughs> get the Blues Clues? You know, you know, a big Paramount release. You know, how did that happen? How did you get involved in this movie, man? I have to say, it's it's I. I... 
I worked with Brian Robbins back in 2013. Brian Robbins. Oh, yeah. is, sure. He's now head of Paramount, you know, was head of Nickelodeon, head Austin's TV. He, when, when he was at Austin's TV, I did like a sort of teen musical thing with him called Side Effects. And I just stayed in touch with him over the years. He then eventually got me like an Aquafina commercial. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Um, and then I did like a pilot for Nickelodeon with them. And I think the, the script was kind of sitting around for a while, with Blue's Clues, you know, like they had always wanted to do it. And the timing was right because, you know, Steve went viral last year. And as far as the co-viewing ship, a lot of the adults that grew up with Steve now have kids that are growing up with Josh. So I think from a just per, like, promote like a free promotion standpoint, like, like if the parents are going to watch it, the kids are going to watch it, the kids are going to watch it, you know, it just, it worked out. The timing worked out. And Brian just called me and he was like, Hey man, like we got this thing and it's a musical. And I was kind of in that musical because he gave me a lot of creative freedom. Um, like, obviously I don't forever want to be in the kids space. I don't want to be in the preschool space, but I want to show like, Hey, I can take something with a, you know, like an indie budget and stretch every dollar and make it look like three to four times more than what we really had. Cause that's what we had to do in the music video world. And, you know, fingers crossed. I hope like, like, I know that like our movies coming out the same day as disenchanted, you know, the big Disney tent pole, whatever, you know, they probably a hundred million bucks on that. And if we compete in the smallest degree with that on streaming, like the smallest degree, if we put a dent in that, then that's cool because we did have, you know, yeah, it was, it was uh, like an indie budget, but it was still a lot of the ways and the techniques we used were, you know, ragtag DIY ways of of doing things. And, and so I was, I was kind of like, I, I liked the challenge of it. I knew the brand was important and existed and I just had this, this, you know, the fact that I was going to be able to make colorful, beautiful musicals and with the musical genre, it's fantasy. So you can break so many rules into where you're going to do a lot of fun stuff as far as the fantasy of it all. Um, I was, I was game. And also like, I'm not rich, so I'm going to take every job I can get. So <laughs> you know, like, literally that's part of it too. Like I, I was, I, I've never been able to pick and choose my jobs, you know? So it was on top of the fact that it's an incredible opportunity. Like you got to keep working because in this industry, if you become irrelevant, it's a hard path back. You always have to have something like cooking in the oven, you know? Oh, there's and, 400, there's 400 guys or gals right behind you waiting yeah. in the yeah. wings to take over yeah, what exactly. you left, what, whatever you left behind. Oh, no. Yeah. What? It, yeah. When you were coming up is a little bit different. It, yeah. There wasn't as much competition. Definitely when I was coming up, it wasn't as much competition, but now. Yeah. Oof, Lord, yeah. Man. Because you can, you, I mean, the, the, you know, the, this camera looks incredible now. You can even do that fake depth of field thing too. So it's like, man, it's you insane. Know. It's pretty yeah. insane. <laughs> it's, it's, can you imagine if we had this kind of technology when we were coming up as kids, man? Well, especially with music videos too, you know, oh, yeah, but, 500, it, that's an extravagant budget. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. It, it's funny that this kind of like, this has been a problem sometimes because like my, my choreographers will film dance and they'll, that they they're also directors too and they like to kind of test out what kind of camera moves could work with the dance but they're using this and when we get on set i'm like well we can't move that fast this is big steady camera it's a dolly or you know whatever so it's like a lot of times you know you have to like slow down when you're when you're rehearsing things but uh but yeah yeah it was you know it was also just like 
what a big opportunity and I just couldn't pass it up, you know, and, and I love, and I love Brian and Nickelodeon's great too. Um, my, my, my partner, Nikki Lopez works for Nickelodeon too. We just happen to both have projects at Nickelodeon. So, um, it's, it's definitely a good family there. Sure. Hey, listen, one of my first jobs was working in Orlando, Florida, Nickelodeon studios. Oh, you were at the OG. I, cool. I was the, oh, I, I, I just saw Brian many times walking by oh, nice. on set. Yeah. Cause he was producing stuff back then. He was doing all that. And, and yeah, the, I, I, to sort of for a, a, for um, trivia that no one cares about, one of my first PA gigs was Global Guts. Oh, nice! That? I was oh. on. I was a Spanish translator oh, in Global awesome. in Global Guts. So they would bring in like the, the the Spaniards and the South American kids, and I would be the one translating for them. And I was on set there, and it was, oh, it was it was amazing. Yeah, correct. They had, the Global Guts was the glowing arrow, right? It was like right. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a little bit different. I never did I never did guts. I did the global guts. So it was just always the international kids coming in. Yeah. And man, it was so much fun. I mean, that was I mean, we're talking what ninety six. Yeah, yeah. In the in the heyday. So I remember seeing Brian, and I remember seeing Brian, you know, on head of the class when he was coming yeah, up yeah. back 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 in the day. Uh, yeah. No, I've I've watched his career, man, and and he's pretty he's a pretty remarkable dude. Like he really yeah. hustled up to the point where now he's running the studio yeah. gotta give it yeah. to him yeah He's no and 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 everything nickelodeon did in the 90s was so cool i mean it's still it still is like a really cool like company that takes a lot of chances but i was defined by that you know this the red and stimpy slime like nick magazine like all that it was so different than disney you know because there was there was disney and there was nick and us nick kids grew up a little weirder you know and, and <laughs> yeah i would it, agree with you on that Brandon you know? stimpy would do that to you <laughs> yeah 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 going all that yeah so. so so when you this is something i've always like i love asking a director who does musical man i've never done a musical scene i mean i've done music videos but that's different yeah. i'm talking like a musical scene hey i'm just gonna bust out into song we're gonna mm -hmm. start dancing in the middle of central park how the hell do you approach something like that? And let alone with CG characters on top of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like the 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 mentality of the music video is still there. You know, like there is still, but I think the most important thing, the, the biggest difference is transitioning into it. You know, because you, I mean, obviously in the old MGM musicals, they'd just be talking, then boom, and then they'd start singing. <laughs> but I think like nowadays, you kind of have to justify, you know, like the MGM musicals, it was always, they're putting on a show, you know, so that's where the musicals came from. And then, you know, but, but some musicals like, like, uh, um, the umbrellas of, uh, was it Sherberg? I can never say that mm -hmm. word. They were just singing the whole time kind of for no reason. You know, it just was a musical, you know? So our, this film was kind of that same thing where Josh is auditioning Broadway is the flavor, but our justification of the musical was always the sounds of New York, the things happening around you that sort of create a soundtrack if you really listen. So the buildup to all the numbers was really important on this one. So that's why that transition into the first musical number, he's like, it's all chaos and there's cars honking and people, you know, cars squealing and people yelling out hot dogs, pretzels and all this stuff. And then he kind of slows down and closes his eyes and you hear his heartbeat and you start hearing like, oh, like the taxi cabs are honking in rhythm and the bucket drummers are playing in rhythm. So but using the sounds of New York, that was how we got in and out of these musical numbers. And that was the thing you have Smart. to think of. Yeah, because you can't, you know, if you just start singing and dancing, like, that's fine. But it's so much cooler if you, like, kind of transition into it and sort of justify what you're seeing on screen is... is A story element. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and the other, the other difference is kind of, um, you know, when you kind of cut the dialogue too, and, and the timing of everything, yeah. you know, I mean, it's that, that's an interesting too, thing too, because you have to like have a metronome going, um, you know, and like practice the dialogue because if you're recording dialogue, like you can't have playback going. So you have to really rehearse all the dialogue that is in between two sections. And we were doing a lot, like the songs that we, that we did playback on set are nothing like the songs we ended up with. And I remember like we, we shot this one section twice that Josh did and we liked them so much. We just doubled up the chorus in post-production and just like made it longer because he danced really good from these two different angles, you know? So there was a lot of Frankensteining in post too. And that like drove, you know, Steph Fink, my incredible, she produced all the music and, and wrote one of the songs, happiness is magic. And I mean, our post-production was insane and I definitely drove her crazy, but she was such a trooper and we changed the song so many times after the fact, but you know, it's, it's a lot of, um, you know, you fall in love with shots and you just got to use them all. So you change the song to like, <laughs> use all the visuals. but yeah, I think the transitions is the biggest difference because in a music video, you just start and the song plays, you know what I mean? Sure. So. Now there's another aspect to this film that was really interesting. It's the Spider-Man no way home effect That's where, true all of the hosts from all generations came in through the multiverse. No, I'm joking, but <laughs> they all come in. That was as probably a big of a deal to blues clues fans as watching Spider-Man no way home for you. And I, when we saw that, we're like, Oh my God, that's Toby. Yeah. Holy cow, that's Andrew. And they're all together. Yeah. And like, I'm like, I get chills when I talk about this because I'm such a geek. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you just like, you know, you start like tearing up. You're like, oh, my God, I remember when I saw Toby as Spider-Man. So I imagine the same thing happened with the Blue's Clues people. Like, I'm sure the, the parents were like, oh my God, there he is. There's Josh. And there's, yeah. you know, this. So how, what was, when you guys, when you read the script and all that, how was that whole thing bringing that whole together as a director? We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. I mean, I thought it was cool when I first read the script, but I didn't, I didn't realize the impact because I didn't grow up with Steve. I was, you know, Steve came out and I was a little bit too old. Right. So it was more like one of those things when after the fact, you know, like not, not after we were shooting, but after I got on the project and he did the whole viral thing and talked to the camera, I realized like it actually makes sense. He was such a, I mean, it, Blue's Clues was the first time, you know, the character looked at the camera, talked to it, gave the kids time to react and talk back was this interactive TV show thing. It was pretty revolutionary. And he meant a lot to a lot of kids, you know, and they're all 25, 30 now. And, you know, just what you look online and all the comments and whenever he posts something, I mean, people were like, yo, you helped me get through this. You helped me deal with anxiety. You know, you, you just like, you shaped my life when I was like, when I was an outcast and I just went and watched Blue's Clues and felt like somebody was listening to me. And, and it's, I, I didn't realize how, how, much of a responsibility it was to both myself and even him performing in the movie, you know, how many people love that guy and, and putting them all together. Um, I mean, I, I, by the time we were shooting, I was like, yeah, this is important because there's all the rules of blues clues, you know, like you have to make sure you talk to the camera at eye level. You don't look down at a kid. You don't look up at a kid, you know, you're talking on their level. And Steve was teaching me a lot of that stuff too. Um, you know, before we were shooting, cause he directed a bunch of blues clues as well. And, um, you know, seeing them all together, it, it's, it's, it is that thing, you know, cause I mean, in the theater when Spider-Man happened, I mean, people were throwing popcorn in the air. 
it's like oh. screaming. You couldn't oh. even hear the scene because people were screaming, you know, and everyone <laughs> knew it was coming. Right. I, you know, it, it, it had to come. I mean, my girlfriend and I wanted Miles to be in there somehow too, but maybe that'll happen. Next, next, yeah. next time, next time. Come on. Yeah. Don't get greedy. Don't get greedy. Yeah, I know. I know. You're right, you're right. <laughs> we got the spider, but uh, it's a spider verse. Okay. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> But, but, you know, like with this one too, you know, it's coming, but we really paid attention to like building up their intros. And when the first time you see them and even like the comedy, cause they're all so, they're all so different. Yeah. They all were hosts, but their, their sense of humor is in the fact that like, you know, Joe is still wearing a stupid purple pink shirt, you know, and he runs a present store, but the rent is high and he makes a joke about that, you know? And the fact that Steve is this bumbly detective that has this great heart, but you know, he needs a, a piece of a bar of soap to help them, you know, find clues and stuff. Like it's, it's just so funny and, and, and ridiculous, you know, and, and it's so heartwarming. I mean, these guys are incredible. The The show is incredible. And it was great to be a part of that and see it all happen. And, and again, it was something where I read the script. I was like, this is cool. But then once you sit down and work with them and see them all on set, you're like, this is, this is a big deal. It's like 25 years in the making. So um, I was glad to sort of lend you know, my, my point of view, you know, to that whole process. Now, when is it coming out and where can people see it? It's uh, November 18th on Paramount plus. And, uh, you know, I don't know if there's going to be Rocky horror, you know, midnight showings of it, but I think a lot of the, uh, <laughs> fingers crossed that happens. Cause there's a lot of silly stuff in the movie that you could, you could throw a pretzel at the screen or you could like, you know, toss salt over your shoulder or whatever. I, I feel like there's a lot of that fun stuff, but, uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's November 18th. And I think, uh, internationally it's like november 19th and then it's going to come out of some other some other countries in december but uh, yeah paramount plus i mean if the whole thing goes to hell man with your career at least you know in 20 years you'll go to a convention and you can still sign some autographs yeah yeah so i yeah. mean i mean you're good you're set bro yes i will i will get those residual autograph whatever you know signing a little funko doll that steve came out with yeah. <laughs> exactly <laughs> Now I'm going to ask you a few, I'm going to ask you a few questions. I ask all my guests, what advice would you give a filmmaker trying to break into the business today? Uh, I'd say write and conceptualize what, you know, you know, just if you, if you're obsessed with Christmas, make a Christmas movie. If you grew up in, um, if you grew up in Chicago, make a movie about Chicago. If you know a certain neighborhood there, write about that. If it's your cultural background and you're, and you're really invested in that, just write what you know, because when you pitch in a room, and you know more than the executives about something, you know, um, they will genuinely want to hear that story. You know, if you make a movie about something, you know about, you know, it, it shows, you know. So if you know something front and back, like you can be the guy, you have to be the only person that can make that. Movie. Good. That's actually really good advice. Um, what lesson would, what lesson took you the longest to learn, whether in the film industry or in life? Oh, gosh. So we got more hours left on this thing. Uh, now it's um um it's it's never worth it. I think I think on set it's never worth it to do anything that isn't safe. You know, there's always those right. there's all those there's those mm -hmm. moments where like obviously an A like there's so many people on set that don't want you to do unsafe stuff, but you can sense when you're pushing something a little too much, when a crew member is pushed a little too much, when an actor is pushed too much, it's just never worth it. Like find a different solution because you don't want someone being too tired when they're driving home. You don't want an actor to lose your respect. You don't want someone getting hurt. It's like, it's just not worth it. Don't take chances with safety. Yeah. And, and I've had too many stunt guys come up to me. I'm like, I could, I could be on fire. I'm like, I don't need you. Yeah, to be on exactly. Fire. You're right. You need yeah. to, you need to, you need to, they're all, have you ever met a stunt guy who didn't do that? All of them do it. 
every they, because it's like hey we're just suspending this guy from wires but they want the explosion you know so it's always like oh, yeah. oh. i need yeah. you to jump 10 feet i could do it 60 feet and yeah. i could be on fire yeah while yeah. there's a tiger chasing me i'm like dude i don't yeah. need no you need to yeah. relax every yeah. single stuck i've ever met always yeah does. oh my god i love stuck people I know they're the they're the craziest they are the craziest carnies in our carnival. I mean they yeah. are nuts. They are in the best, wonderful, wonderful, loving way. They are absolutely nuts, and they make our films so much better. Yeah. <laughs> and um, last question: three of your favorite films of all time. Okay, uh, number one is going to be Eight and a Half Fellini. I'm obsessed with it. The whole thing feels like a dream, and it feels like looking at my own childhood, even though it's a totally different culture. You know. Um, Number two would be Natural Born Killers. That thing just breaks so many rules, and it just oh, like all the all the formats they shot on, how they shot it, and it's this like awesome like Badlands love story, but updated and so '90s, and it's I, I love that movie. Um, and then uh, man, number three has got to be Clockwork Orange. It's just I mean the, the, the I mean I mean Kubrick. I mean every one of his movies can be in anyone's top ten. He was a director that made like the best horror movie of all time, the best war film of all time. I mean, arguably, you know, the best drama of all time, the best comedy, but uh, Clockwork Orange just, I mean, it was my, it, it has roots in my punk rock, like high school upbringing. And that's just the movie we watched on repeat a million times. Can you imagine releasing the first 20 minutes of Clockwork Orange in today's world? I mean, how, the, yeah. how could they even do it then? And I'm watching, yeah. I just watched it recently again. I'm like, this stuff is still so far gone, so far out. Yeah, that you yeah. could not release it. Can you imagine if a major studio released this? Day? Yeah, it's crazy too because everything that's like based <coughs> off book is really obscene and dirty and profane. You know, books are always the dirtiest thing ever. You know, it doesn't matter how old it is. Like you could like you read an old Henry Miller book, you're like, whoa, you know, but. You know, that's where all the good movies come from is great books. You know, a lot of them do. And so it's the uh, the obscene will always be there. And let's hope the studios keep releasing it because <laughs> they're the fun. <laughs> Matt, man, it's been a pleasure talking to you, man. Continued success and congratulations on all the success you had. And and uh, thank you for bringing Blue's Clues uh, to the new generation and bringing all of them together, man. It's, it's a lot of fun, man. So I appreciate yeah. you, my friend. Thank you for having me. Nice to meet you, Alex, for sure, man. I want to thank Matt so much for coming on the show and dropping his knowledge bombs on the tribe today. Thank you so much, Matt. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, head over to the show notes at IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash 635. And don't forget this week that on Indie Film Hustle Academy or IFHAcademy.com, we have the biggest sale we have ever had on a Black Friday weekend. It starts at 9 a.m., Eastern Standard Time on Black Friday and goes through Cyber Monday at midnight. Guys, trust me, if you've been interested in any of our courses, this is the time to check it out. Just go to ifhacademy.com. Thank you so much for listening, guys. As always, keep that hustle going. Keep that dream alive. Stay safe out there. And I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Indie Film Hustle podcast at IndieFilmHustle.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-F-I-L-M-H-U-S-T-L-E.com.